0: I'm Rhonda Nowak for the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. This is The Literary Gardener for January 28, 2021. The topic this time is, want to become a land steward? Here's how. The universal opinion is that in the future, we will have to change to a diet that is largely plant-based with much less meat, especially red meat. This will not only reduce the amount of space we need for farmland and produce fewer greenhouse gases, it will be much healthier for us too. David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet, 2020. Attenborough goes on to note that eating largely plant based meals could reduce deaths from heart disease, obesity, and some cancers by up to 20%, which would save a trillion dollars in global health care costs by 2050. His statements about the benefits of plant based diets are corroborated by the USDA 2020 through 2025 Dietary Guidelines for Americans and the UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change special report as a person who grew up eating meat at most meals i can say that it hasn't been too difficult to reduce my consumption of red meat over the last couple of years particularly with plant-based meat alternatives and i feel better about my health and my contribution to a healthier planet in fact gardeners are in an ideal position to reduce their meat intake because we already grow plants If you only grow ornamentals, consider adding food plants to the flower garden that are also beautiful. Some of my favorites are strawberries, artichokes, chives, scarlet runner beans, fennel, and colorful varieties of kale, Swiss chard, lettuces, and cabbages. This year, I'm trying a beautiful annual leafy vegetable called red auric in my flower garden. If you already grow vegetables in your garden, well, eating more plant-based foods is even easier. Try new vegetables this year to keep it interesting. Achoka or cucumelons, both in the cucumber family, purple cauliflower, broccoli rabe, also called rapini, parsnips, long beans, amaranth, also called Chinese spinach, red meat or watermelon radishes, kohlrabi, the list of unusual vegetables goes on. If you want to grow vegetables in less garden space, consider which crops produce more food per plant. High-yield vegetables include leafy greens, tomatoes, cucumbers, summer squashes, peas, beans, peppers, beets, and radishes. Moving to more vertical farming is recommended to reduce the amount of land for growing commercial crops. Home gardeners, too, can grow more food crops per square foot by using trellises, hanging gardens, and stacked beds or containers. For example, this year I'm growing some of my leafy greens in tiered boxes set against the backyard fence. Attenborough's main point in advocating plant-based diets and vertical growing practices is that they significantly reduce the amount of land required to fulfill humanity's need for food. Land that is not used for growing food can be rewilded, in other words, restored to its natural state in order to support native wildlife, and to capture more carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and sequester it in the soil, thus reducing greenhouse gases. On a global scale, rewilding some agricultural and other public and private lands would go a long way toward restoring biodiversity and ecological balance. For the home gardener, adopting a rewilding mindset might involve using the extra space provided from growing vertical vegetable gardens to plant a couple of native berry bushes, such as red or golden currant, raspberry, trailing blackberry, or gooseberry. There are many other native shrubs that provide berries for birds but are less palatable to humans. The most useful lesson I learned from reading a life on our planet is the importance of land stewardship. Attenborough's book inspired me to register for OSU's online land steward program beginning February the 11th and continuing through April 23rd. The course is designed for owners of woodlands, small farms, pasture, or other rural land who want to manage their property's natural resources more effectively. This will be a stimulating experience for Jerry and me as we continue to restore the two and a half acres of woodland property that we bought in Bandon a few years ago. The Land Steward course includes a series of nine self-paced online lessons and three virtual classes where we'll meet with instructors and other participants via video conferencing. Topics will address wildfire risk reduction, forest and woodland management, encouraging and managing wildlife, stream ecology, pasture management, growing healthy soils, rural water system infrastructures, and rural economics. We are particularly excited about the stewardship planning component of the course. Jerry and I will learn how to assess the natural resources on our property and then create a management plan that will help us accomplish our land stewardship goals. I'm looking forward to sharing our journey with you. The online program costs $150 per person. For more information about the OSU Land Steward Program, visit the OSU Extension Service website. Caring for our own land, whether that's a tiny yard or large acreage, is one important way that we can all contribute to a healthier earth. Attenborough reminds us, we often talk about saving the planet, but the truth is that we must do these things to save ourselves. With or without us, the wild will return. Let's do what we can to make sure humans are around to enjoy it. Stay tuned as I talk more about Land Stewardship with OSU Land Steward Coordinator Rachel Wierling.
1: ...that Attenborough talks about is the importance of reducing carbon emissions, but also uh, going further than that, just reducing but actually sequestering carbon in the soil. What what kinds of things um, does the Land Steward Program um, help local landowners on- know about carbon emissions and sequestering carbon in the soil?
2: Yeah, we, we talk about that in the soil. And You know, we have two different in the soil module. We have two different versions of this program, and I think you're going to be involved in the online one. So we don't get into the field as much, obviously, with the online one. We aren't doing that at all through the pandemic. But okay. during the Field program, which we're hoping to offer again in the in the uh, in September of this coming year, we actually go out to uh, Scott Good's farm where he's really doing great studies on um, soil uh, sequestration of carbon in the soil through farming practices. But those that information is incorporated into the content of the module. So we talk about um, you know maximizing living roots in your soil, uh, keeping things biodiverse. Keeping your soil covered, not disturbing, not tilling, and really, um, plants are always fixing carbon—the CO2 that's in the air—and bringing that in, converting it into sugars in their in their system. And lots of those sugars are actually funneled down into the soil, and they feed. Um, other organisms that live in the soil. So plants living roots in the soil are a great way to maintain carbon. And another thing that people worry about sometimes, another one of our modules is about the forest. And so folks think about, um, and we uh, encourage thinning so that we don't have as much of a fire risk. And sometimes there will be burning of flash piles when that happens. And oftentimes people are concerned about carbon emissions with that. But if you think about it, um, you're really, the like forest fires are part of our normal carbon cycle, our natural carbon cycle. And if you're thinning the forest, you're reducing the risk of having a standard placement fire, which is, for one, going to emit a whole lot more carbon into the air. And then, um, so those those small fires of burning the fuels, you're reducing the risk of having all that much more uh, carbon emitted. I'm not sure I said that very clearly, but that's a question that people often have that I wanted to kind of highlight. No, so that's like taking t- care, taking care of your forest and reducing the risk of fire. You're also reducing another kind of forest emit, of uh, fi- uh, carbon emission. And also, older growth
1: forests are great sequesters of of carbon. So that's another thing to promote a healthy, long lived forest. That's that. Makes, you're making great points because we do have a lot of um, underbrush that we are thinning out of our woodland property in Bandon, and yet we have worried about the burn piles and what that, what the impact on the environment our burn piles is making. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you know, well, in terms of climate change, what is driving that is fossil fuel use. That's the primary thing, as well as industrial agriculture. So really, that, you know, historically and prior to the westernization of kind of the whole world, forest fires and grass fires, those have been part of the cyclone. Those have not been what's warming the climate. Now, if a, if a forest burns, it's emitting carbon, but that's part of the carbon cycle. Okay. So if you can reduce the risk of a stand replacement fire, then you're you know um so now
1: Attenborough says, you know, we really don't need to look any further than nature itself to solve our environmental problems. I think he's talking about the idea of biomimicry, that we can really look to nature-based solutions to help us solve our environmental problems. What do you think about that that idea? I think that is so true. I I think
2: that humans to have a view of like wanting to really simplify things and then if you, th- if you think about nature like everything in nature nothing does just one thing like I love this when I teach when I teach a botany for example in a tree you know the structure the plant the material that holds the plant up is also the plumbing for the plant the uh, leaves are the engines that produce the energy and And they also um, are, you know, holding some of the the sugars and materials and dropping and recycling those in the soil over in the fall and deciduous plants, for example. I think that's really true. I think this gets back to some of the things that we were saying um, in our talk last week about kind of letting your – trying to kind of make your land – imitate the natural environment and not doing as much human quote-unquote work you know to tidy it up to clean it up let it be part of the system let the nutrients recycle um yeah i think even you know in in some respects it's the whole pandemic for example us uh, figuring out that not everybody needs to drive in to be in an office every every day of the week and i think that's kind of like a natural solution that kind of harkens back to that, like, it makes more sense to you, this kind of network of communication that we already have, rather than sort of creating more work and effort and emissions you know, with commuting. Right.
1: Well, and, you know, nature is so efficient.
2: Definitely. Nature is always looking for the easiest, most conservative solution, and it never externalizes the costs the way we do. So when we're thinking about What is the cheapest way to get to work? And we're going to drive our car. We're sterilizing all kinds of costs when we do that. So nature doesn't do that. It's always all included. And I think if we can make our lives like that more, then that's a uh, positive impact.
1: Absolutely. Now, In his book, he, he writes um, something that I think is important. He says, if we are to allow nature to begin to recover, we have to reduce the proportion of the land surface that we occupy so we may give space back to the wild. What do you think about this comment, and do you see, how do you see local landowners contributing to this rewilding movement?
2: That's one of my favorite topics. And again, that gets back to what we were talking about last weekend. But um, I think that the more that you can uh, make place for native plants, I mean, the first, first step really is to learn about where you live and what is native where you live, and then encouraging space for those creatures, whether they're plants or animals. And I think that on a, on a larger scale in our agriculture, and if we have animals, you know, having things like hedgerows of native plants, creating bringing more nature space into the space that we are going to occupy and letting places be more wild be messier and also encouraging native plants thinking hard before we bring in non-native plants is that needed um those kinds of things i think are the answer and those are one of the ways that we can have the most immediate impact i think yeah and you
1: know i see that that
0: Thank you, Rachel Merling, OSU Land Steward Program Coordinator. And that's it for the Literary Gardener this time. Thanks so much for listening and happy gardening.